We've all got questions about the Bible and Christianity. Some of us are Christians and want to know how best to live for God and show our love for Him. Some of us are curious about what it means to follow Jesus. And some of us are skeptical of the idea of religion in general. Whatever your background, we invite you into these conversations that strive to take an honest look at what the Bible has to say on a wide variety of subjects. Each week, we will discuss questions that have been sent in from all around the world and try to find truth and practical application in God's Word. If you have any questions, or follow-up comments, contact us anytime by emailing info at broadwaycoc.com. I'm Jed Lovejoy, and these are Conversations with Dan. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to another one of our conversations here with Dan. How are we doing today? Good. Good? All right. Well, we've got another question that has come in uh, through our comments on YouTube and everything. And they asked us to look at Matthew 18, the concept of binding and loosing. Specifically, they were asking, does this apply to church leaders? Like, can church leaders bind and loose things? Okay. So in Matthew 18, if we go back to the first um, verse, Mm -hmm. um, the disciples of Jesus came to him, and he's talking to his disciples, his apostles. And he is in a section here where he's talking about um, if a brother sins and that brother will not repent of a sin. And um, when he comes down to verse 17, Mm -hmm. he says, um, if he does not hear them, if he he does not hear them, uh, tell it to the church. And if he does not listen to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Mm -hmm. Truly I say to you, whatever you, that's plural, you all, shall bind upon the earth shall be, literally, shall be having been bound in heaven. And whatsoever you all shall loose upon the earth shall be having been loosed in heaven. It's a little bit complicated in that... um, the verbs are in um, the perfect tense. Okay. And it does not mean, if you look at the grammar of the original language, that the apostle would say, okay, this is my judgment, and then God would say, okay, if that's what you want, that's what I'll do. It's quite the opposite. Hmm. When the apostle binds something, it's something that has already been bound in heaven and is still bound, and the apostle is conveying what God has bound. Okay. So the perfect tense means something started in the past and continues in the present. Okay. So whatever you apostles bind shall have been bound in heaven. In other words, it's already been bound in heaven, and that's why you're binding it. So does that... Does that imply that the apostles understand or are given knowledge about things? Yes. Or is it in general saying the laws that are there are already there for you? Yeah, it, it's saying that the divine wisdom which God gave the apostles was something that was established in heaven mm. and they're conveying on earth. If you look back at Matthew 16. Okay, I got more questions. We'll keep and, going. And verse 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's after Peter's confession, and he's specifically um, talking to uh, Peter, mm-hmm. and he says, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind upon the earth 
shall have been bound in the heavens, and whatever you loose upon the earth shall have been loosed in the heavens. And the ESV reads, shall be bound. Yeah, So and, and see, it's very difficult to translate the perfect tense, but the ESV translators, like anybody else, understand that this is not a future tense, it's a perfect tense, which means mm. something started in the past and continues to be true Okay. In the future. So I guess tying those things together, when it's whether it's related to Peter in the 16 passage or related to, and I'm going to ask a question, all of the apostles. whoever's talking about in 18, it's not saying that they're going to have whatever their just random whims are bound on people. They are going to be given specific knowledge to understand how to judge things. That's exactly right. Now, let me give okay. you a real world example from the epistles. Okay. From First Corinthians, so still in, remind me. I want to talk about the the audience here of eighteen. But, okay, but and yeah, we'll keep coming. Verse back to one it. says it's the disciples, but I, I think it's talking about the apostles because of the sixteen. Okay, and who it said to there. We can look at it more. All right, we'll keep going with that First Corinthians. Where but are we going? but let's go over to First Corinthians and in First Corinthians in the first four chapters, Paul mm -hmm. talks about human wisdom which has no unity in it and divine wisdom which is revealed to the apostles which is the only place we can find unity mm. so um he says in chapter 2 of first corinthians verse 6 we speak wisdom among the mature yet a wisdom not of this age nor of the rulers of this age which are coming to nothing but we mm. speak god's wisdom in a mystery which was hidden mm which God foreordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age had known. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And then drop down to verse 10. To us, God revealed it through the Spirit. Hmm. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. Drop down to verse 13. Uh, verse 12 at the end, the things freely given to us by God, which things we speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches. Mm -hmm. So Paul is claiming divine revelation and therefore access to divine wisdom. He's saying in Corinthians that you people can be divided over all the opinions of these supposedly wise people in this world, but the only unity can be found in what has been revealed mm. by God and to so the to the apostles apostles okay. and if you go to chapter 4 and um, verse 6 he's talking about this he says these things brothers I have transferred in a figure to myself and Apollos so that in us you might learn not to go beyond the things that are written so that none of you should be puffed up on behalf of the one and against the other then if you drop down to verse 9, for I think, you know, God has made us apostles. You know, he's talking right. about the apostles. Right. So then Paul says in 4.16, 4.15 and 16, I'm your father in the gospel, be imitators mm -hmm. of me. Mm -hmm. In other words, do what I say because I got my wisdom from God. Right. Now, in the in the following chapters of Corinthians... What are we going to do about this guy that's living with his father's wife in chapter mm -hmm. 5? Well, the, the people that thought they had human wisdom had their opinions, but Paul said God's wisdom is 
you put away the evil from among yourselves. Right. Then uh, in chapter 6, some of the people thought so much that they had wise human wisdom people that they mm -hmm. went out to seek judges in this matter that were uh, pagan judges that had human wisdom. Let them decide this. They're wise people. Right. But Paul says that's the wrong wisdom. We need wisdom mm. from God. Then uh, in chapter 7 and following, what's God's wisdom about marriage mm -hmm. and fornication and how we treat marriage? Mm -hmm. uh, in chapters 8 through 10, what is God's wisdom about whether we ought to flirt with idolatry and eat things sacrificed to idols? Mm -hmm. They had their wisdom that said, what's the big deal? It's just food offered to idols. It's just food. What's the big deal? And God said, flee from idolatry. Yeah. So the, the whole book of Corinthians is based on this idea of the Apostle Paul binding things okay, through divine wisdom, which had been bound in heaven. Mm. He was the apostle. See? Yeah. He was not using his authority. He mm. didn't have authority on his own. He was binding what had already been bound in heaven. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Because all of these go back to essentially holiness principles that would have been coming down, I mean, back in Deuteronomy and all these other things. So it's not the first time this would have been made known to God's people. Right. But Christ mm -hmm. spoke, even in the Gospel of John, you know, I'm going to send you guys, the guys that were sitting around the Last Supper table with him, I'm going to send you another helper, and he is going to teach you everything. He's going to remind you right. of everything I said, you know. Mm -hmm. He's going to guide you into all truth. So it's not just Deuteronomy and all those. It's the Spirit's divine wisdom given mm -hmm. to the apostles. Okay. So it, I can see that laid out. I have never heard it taught that way. So I guess then the question becomes, even understanding that in Matthew 18, he's talking to the disciples, or more specifically, the group we call the apostles now. Right. What does the you, like once we start in verse 15, I mean, this is generally just given as an application to the everyday person out there. If something mm -hmm. goes wrong, you go talk to them, and this and that and the other. Yeah. And then for it to all of a sudden shift gears to, well, you binding is this perfect tense that only applies to the apostles. Okay, so, let's, let's give another example of Matthew 18 in another setting. Okay. Let's go to 1 Timothy 5, Alrighty. where Paul, an apostle, is writing to Timothy, an evangelist, about how to deal with elders mm -hmm. in Ephesus. Okay, 1 Timothy 5.17. 5.17. And here's, here's what Paul says. Read down through about verse 22. Okay. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Okay, hang on just a minute. Have you ever seen that two or three witnesses thing before? Yes. Did you remember that that's in Matthew 18? 18. Okay. okay. So if the elder sins, you can read in here, the same process that Jesus set up in Matthew 18 applies to that elder. Where do you get this, Paul? Well, I got it from Jesus. Hmm. See? Okay. And so if he won't 
stop his sin, then rebuke him in the sight of all. That would be mm. tell it to the church. Yeah. See, in Matthew 18. Okay. So he's taking the principle that was given to them and saying, this is how you as the general followers of Christ are going to put it into application? Yeah, this he's giving this to a leader, an evangelist, and he's mm. saying, this is how you okay. apply this because this is what God already said to do. See, mm. it's not like yeah. you, the leader, make the rule. It's like you enforce Jesus's rule. You okay. enforce the divine wisdom. Yeah. And then he says, you know, be careful who you appoint an elder in the first place when you go down mm. there to verse 22. Yeah. Um, there are many arguments in the brotherhood about church leaders, and usually church leaders either means elders or evangelists, mm. you know, and whether they can, whether they have authority to make laws, right? And we're supposed to do what they say. The answer to that is no. They do not have authority to make laws. Okay. They only have authority to pass on what God has said, mm. just like the apostles. The okay. apostles did not have intrinsic authority. Yeah. They simply bound what had been bound mm. in heaven. So we're not yeah. binding anything new. Now, one of the passages which um, gives rise to this misconception is Hebrews 13, 17. Okay. Hebrews 13, 17. And there's a couple of reasons why it doesn't support this, but let's read. Yeah, it says, Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. All right, and so if we just take that passage out of its context and just, okay, so whatever the leaders, mm -hmm. which most people today read that, elders, mm -hmm. which is not necessarily a proper reading of that, but do whatever they say. So that sounds like yeah, they, they can bind things They on. can bind things. But if you go back to verse 7 in that same passage. Okay. 13.7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of, of their way of life and imitate their faith. So what are the leaders speaking to you? They're speaking the word of God. And inasmuch as they speak the word of God to you, Obey do the what leaders. they said. Why should okay. I do what they said? Because it's the word of God, not because mm. it's the word of the leader, the mm. evangelist, the okay. elder, the prophet, whoever it is, but it's the word of God. And because yeah. it's the word of God, it's beneficial to my soul and they're mm. watching after my soul. See? Yeah. So to try to piece these together and then see where it works almost in a timeline sort of idea. You have Jesus telling the apostles that basically you're going to get divine revelation of the things that have already been bound in heaven that I want you to bind onto the people who follow me. And so then the apostles pass that along to other evangelists, other followers, and they say, these are the principles we were told, this is how to apply them. Yep. So if they're getting the divine revelation and then they're passing it along, is that kind of the end of it? That is. Okay. And if you'll go to 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, mm -hmm. 2 Tim 2.2, 2, it says kind of what you said. Okay. That's good. That's good to know that I'm on the right track here. Uh, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, 
Uh, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now that's much more succinct. <laughs> so Paul heard it from Christ. He passed it on to Timothy, and Timothy tried to do what Christ, through Paul, had told him to do. But yeah. Timothy wasn't making any new stuff up, mm. and none of the leaders that Timothy appointed in Ephesus or that Paul appointed in the Galatian churches had authority to make any new rules. Hmm. Now, the problem we have is tradition in various localities has become law when church leaders bind that tradition hmm. and the people in the churches can't distinguish between what is human tradition and what has been bound in gotcha. heaven. And I, I would bet there's some people that are immediately jumping to churches that have a very strong hierarchy and they're going, oh, well, that's like, you know, name the congregation that has, or the type of denomination or the traditional tradition and faith that's like, this is the guy at the top and so on and so forth. Well, if they're talking about but, the papacy and things like that, the papacy um, has... Uh, taken this and abused it big time and has continued to change God's mm. bindings in heaven over time. But but I guess what I would say is they're not the only ones who have done that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactamente. This, this isn't a problem that exists in one space. If, no, it, if this is the case that... No, it's not just their problem. It's our problem. Yeah. We, it may look different on our end. It looks different, but it's the same thing when yeah. we bind our traditions. Okay. So as like, like maybe this is where some people are going, well, give us some examples. Like, let us know what this means. A some simple one that we've done before is Sunday night worship. You know, you've already yeah. had your Sunday assembly. We're going to have Sunday night worship. The elders say, we think this is a good thing for you to attend. Nothing wrong with that. The elders say, if you don't come to Sunday night, we're going to start checking up on you and seeing if you're really a faithful Christian. Well, even if they're checking up on you, if they say, if you don't come to Sunday night, you're not faithful, we're going to withdraw from you or something, mm. then they're binding something. Okay. But when they say Sunday night is a great opportunity for people to learn and grow, we encourage you to be a part of it. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm. That's good. Okay. Um. What's some other one? Like, that's that's a simple one that people see, but then... If you're going to serve in, in church services, you must have on a, a tie. suit and tie. Yeah, that's not in there. Now, it's nothing wrong with saying we encourage you to look clean and nice, but to mm. bind a certain form of dress is not biblical. Mm. Okay. So this is... I guess it presents itself so clearly on something like that but then there's all these other little nuances of, let's say you've had a certain type of sin in your life, and the elders now say, you're not able to serve in any way in our congregation because of that sin. Is that binding, or is that them using good judgment? Well, it, it would depend. Let's, For example, let's say you're like the guy that was living with his father's wife, and you've actually been excommunicated like the guy that was living with his father's wife. And if you were still living with hmm. your father's wife, then certainly that would be a legitimate 
thing based on divine revelation. But yeah. if you had, like in Second Corinthians, the guy repented and Paul said, confirm your love toward him. And if after time he had earned the trust again that he was trying to live the right way, then there's no yeah. reason why the guy shouldn't be able to serve. Okay. So it depends yeah. on the given situation, right. how they're applying all the things that the Scripture has Which I guess goes back to when we were reading the passage where it says, obey the leaders in the context of, are they obeying the Scripture and passing that along? Are they along? teaching you what God says? Yeah. Okay. If they say, this is what the Lord says, and it is what the Lord says, then it's in your soul's interest to mm. do what the Lord says. They're trying yeah. to help you go to heaven. Yeah, it's... Like I say, going back to that original passage in Matthew 18, it's just not the common way. In fact, I'm trying, I've really been trying to think if I ever heard it put that that passage is for the apostles, and then those other times when they repeat it, that's for us. So I guess I'm just saying, when we read something like that, what would be a good signpost, red flag, whatever, to well, make sure we see that perfect sense of it? Let's say that... Let's say that I read Matthew 18 in the mm -hmm. light of the theological framework of the entire New Testament, which mm -hmm. clearly says that Christ picked certain special emissaries, the apostles. Mm. He chose them. He sent the Holy Spirit to them. He gave them divine revelation, and they gave their revelation to the church to guide it through divine wisdom. I mean, that's true. Mm -hmm. All right. So let's say that, you know, you read Matthew 18 as if you're an individual. It still says that whatever me, Dan Owen, would try to bind on somebody, it better be stuff that has been bound mm. in heaven. How do I know if something's been bound in heaven? Only if I can clearly see it in God's word that this is what God says we're supposed to do. Okay. So I guess you're saying it's still a good general foundation principle for us to remember. Right. Okay. But it's not us down here on earth say, we would like to make this a rule, and then God says, whatever you guys say. That's not mm. the way it is. Yeah, because I think that's where, and this is probably a whole other ball of wax, but people especially get into that mode when they go into verse 19, when they say, well, if two or three of you agree... And so it's almost like... Well, where two or three are gathered together mm -hmm. goes back up in the previous paragraph to the two or three witnesses. Mm -hmm. Those are the two or three witnesses that are trying to reconcile this brother. Yeah. And this is God's instruction about how to... So if two or three of you, two or three witnesses are gathered together to reconcile a brother, right? I'm there with you doing that because this is my will that I've told you in heaven. But this isn't... If two or three of you get together and you agree that this is a new revelation we should do... No, that's got nothing to do with what's in that passage. Okay. So I think that's that's maybe what helps when we have that understanding that even if it's the general foundational principle for us to understand, it was specifically given to the apostles. And then if we want to know how we apply it, we should really be looking at where the apostles passed it along. Sure. Okay. And you see that... That very passage applied in First Timothy 5, right. when Timothy is dealing with elders that have committed sin and have not turned away from that sin. He's to do it exactly like it says right there. Okay. 
maybe this raises some more questions for you out there as well. Um, it's been fun going through this. Yeah, um, I think we're hung up. There's there's power struggles. We're hung up on the idea of authority and human beings having authority. And you know, you can go back to a passage like um, Mark ten forty through forty five, where you know Jesus said the rulers of the Gentiles exercise authority over them, and their their great ones, you know, domineer over them. But it shall mm. not be this way with you. Whoever's mm. greatest among you shall be your servant. So this idea that I I have authority over you, this simply doesn't exist in New Testament Christianity. Mm. Christ has the authority. And in as much as we speak the word of God, we speak for Christ. In yeah. as much as we're putting our own stuff in there, we don't speak for Christ. Does this kind of fit with when when Paul's talking in Galatians and he's talking about the other apostles and he's like, you know, I appreciate them, but who they are makes no difference to me. I follow the word of Christ. Is it that similar idea that he's trying to get across that? Yes, but in that passage in Galatians 2, <laughs> he's talking about the fact that the same God who worked in those other apostles worked in him and mm -hmm. revealed to him. And he says in Galatians 1, what, 11 or 12? Mm. Uh what does it say? Galatians say. 1, 11, maybe 11 and 12. I always get those verses mixed up. Well, they're so close. <laughs> Don't be go. sarcastic, Shed. <laughs> uh, let's see. Verse 12, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. There you go. So the same way Paul received his stuff, mm -hmm. those other apostles received their stuff. And when they saw that, when the when Peter James and John saw that about Paul in Galatians two, mm -hmm. then they gave him the right hand fellowship and said, "You know what? You are a chosen vessel of God, just like we are, and you're teaching the same thing we are, and so yeah. we're both just telling what God told us." There we go, and it goes back to that point. It goes back to that principle. They were coming from the Word of God, the Spirit of God, in the re revealing to them, and yeah. So what happened, like in Galatians two eleven through fourteen, when Peter mm -hmm. behaviorally veered off from the course that God had given? Right. Paul dressed Paul, him down and said, yeah. "Look, man, you're wrong." I opposed him to his face. Yes, yeah. because Peter was departing from what had been bound in heaven. Mm -hmm. So Peter didn't have any authority. Peter was supposed to do what God said to do. There we go. Okay. All right. Like I say, there's probably some more questions on this one out there. Maybe this is the first time you've walked through it in this manner too. So hopefully that helps you understand a little bit more about perfect tense. What would that be? Verb being. <laughs> if you, if you, you know, we don't want to get the muddy, uh, the waters muddy. But if you're looking at Greek grammars and you look up the perfect tense and see what the what the Germans would call the action sart, the type of action that yeah. is in a in a perfect tense verb, it's something that begins in the past and continues in the present. Mm. But it's something really hard for us to convey in it is, simple and, English. And you don't have to understand that if you just look at the general gist of all of these passages. Yeah, and maybe that's probably if. If it is difficult to see, in general, go back to the larger section of passage and see who's being talked to. Right. And yeah. and also just look at the role of the apostles and the role of evangelists and how 
nobody was supposed to do their own thing. They were all supposed to do mm. what God told them from heaven. There we go. All right. Thanks for joining us today. And if you've got questions, leave them in the comment section. Send us an email. We always make sure and ha add that in there. But thanks for joining us. Have but, a great week. But just don't cool. say anything in your comments like that would like that would hurt my feelings or anything like that. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> we take them all. Okay. Uh, see see all. Thanks again for listening to these weekly conversations between myself and Dr. Dan Owen. Conversations with Dan is an outreach and teaching ministry of the Broadway Church of Christ in Paducah, Kentucky. You can find us online through most of the major social media sites or through our website, broadwaycoc.com.